You're listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. So we've been kind of working our way through a series uh, for a couple of weeks now. We've just been looking at the various names by which God has revealed himself to mankind. And we've been talking about in each of those revelations, the different names that God gives, that in every name, God is showing something new, something deeper about his character, his nature, his attributes, his infinite worth. And we've been kind of looking at also through those names, how God really desires to interact with us Um, as the creator to his creation. And today I want to look at probably what is one of the most common names used uh, of God, and that is Jehovah or Yahweh. And you would um, identify that name in the Bible if you've got an authorized translation Anytime you come across the word Lord, where it's all in capital letters, in the Hebrew language, that is the word Jehovah or Yahweh. There is a word uh, Lord that is a capital L, and then the other three letters are all small case letters. That is the Hebrew name Adonai. Um, I may get to that in this series, uh, but it is something entirely different about the nature and character of God in that. That name, But this morning, I want to look at that name, Lord, Jehovah, or Yahweh. And as we've looked at the various names of God, we have been very, very careful to take time to note and to, and to look and to kind of just peer into the depths of why is God choosing in this particular circumstance with whatever's going on in the context of the story, why is God using this moment, this opportunity, this particular situation to reveal a new name? Because he's not just doing this happenstance, okay? He's doing it in connection to, in relation to something, a circumstance, a situation that is happening that it just kind of makes it like the prime moment. It's like the the most teachable moment, where God is able to say in the context of what is happening here and now, I am going to give you through this a new revelation, a new understanding of of the infiniteness of who I am. And so we've been very, very careful to look at, okay, where does this first appear? And what is the context in which God chooses uh, to reveal this new name? Again, it's not just something God throws out there, disconnected from the situation or the circumstance or what is happening. The new revelation, that new name that God gives is always connected to something that is happening at that time. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about this particular name of God, uh, Jehovah, Yahweh. Uh, First of all, the Bible calls this particular name of God his forever name. We'll get more into that in just a couple of moments. In Exodus 3, verse 15, it is during this encounter that that God has with Moses. And through the burning bush, we're going to get more into that uh, this morning as well. There in verse 15 of, of Exodus chapter 3, it says regarding this name, Jehovah or Yahweh, he says, this is my forever name. This is my memorial name to all generations. That's to us. 
here today. Thousands and thousands of years ago, this was spoken and it applies just as much today to you and I as it did then to those who heard it. This name, Jehovah, Yahweh, Lord, it is only four letters in the Hebrew. It's the Y-H-W-H, you know, vad Hey, vah Hey in, in, in the Hebrew. And, and this name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, it is used more than any other name in the, New, in the Old Testament. Almost 7,000 times you will see this name appear in the Old Testament. It is used 698 times in the Psalms. I counted all of them this week. Theologians call this forever name of God, this memorial name of God, a tetragrammaton. Tetra meaning the number four, grammatons meaning letters. Hence, you've got the four letters, um, the uh, vad he, ve he. Uh, and the Old Testament rabbis, priests, the, the Jewish scholars would refer to Yahweh as the name. Okay? They would sometimes refer to it as the unutterable name. It is the great or the terrible name. And they base that because they would never, ever pronounce that name Yahweh. Because of that, again, it's based on that commandment that says in, in Exodus 20 verse 7, You shall not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God, in vain. And so they would never, ever pronounce it. They would never speak that name. Another translation of Exodus 20 verse 7 puts it this way. You must not take up the name of Jehovah, your God, in a worthless way. For Jehovah will not leave unpunished the one who takes up his name in a worthless way. And so when they would be reading the scriptures, if they were doing it publicly, when they would come across the name, the unutterable name, they would just put the name Adonai in its place because you just don't ever say the name, the precious name, that forever name. And everybody, even today among the Jewish people, they will not use this particular name of God because it is just too holy to utter. You'll notice oftentimes when they're writing, I'll see this today, even with Jewish authors, uh, when they come to that name, God, they will not even write the whole name out. They'll give the capital uh, G uh, uh, dash and then the word G. The only time the name Yahweh was ever uttered was by the high priest. One time a year, he would go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, which they were only allowed to go once a year during the Day of Atonement. And he would offer up sacrifices there on behalf of the nation of Israel. And only then he would just whisper the name Yahweh. So how do we ever get the word Yahweh out of this Y-H-W-H. Now, if you know anything about the Hebrew language, which the Old Testament was originally written in, you know that there are no vowels in the Hebrew language, only consonants. So the only way the Israelites would learn how to pronounce anything was by listening. You would know how to pronounce a word by the way you heard someone else pronounce it. And so since no one would utter that name, Yahweh, they didn't know how to pronounce this. 
So in the 9th and the 10th centuries, you had some Jewish scholars who were called masonries, and they added vowel points to the Hebrew letters so that people could at least kind of come to understand how to pronounce certain words. So when they came to this name Yahweh, they added the vowel points from the name Adonai, and that's how they came up with this pronunciation, Yahweh. We don't know if that's accurate And there's, again, this is just kind of how they approached that name back then. Now, there's a lot more to the etymology of this name of God, but I don't want to get too sidelined into that. Now, the name Yahweh or Jehovah, it means self-existent one, the only true source of life. And we'll get more into that in just a moment. Now, the first time this name appears is in Genesis 2-4. And it follows six days of creation. And in Genesis 2-4, that name Jehovah, Yahweh, it is combined with one of the names we looked at as we started this series, the name God or Elohim. There it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And so from Genesis 1-1 all the way through Genesis 1 into the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, Elohim is the first and only name of God we find. And as we talked about that name Elohim, what I, what I conveyed to you was, is partly what that name means is all-powerful creator. And that would stand to reason when you see all that God did in the six days of creation, that name Elohim kind of testifies to that. It is a description that that is what God was doing. This is who he is, and this is what he was doing. Now, Jehovah is added to that name Elohim there in Genesis chapter 2, 4, and there you find for the first time Jehovah or Yahweh Elohim, And it says, this is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created in that day that the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, made earth and heaven. So when you reach Genesis 2-4, now if you're familiar with the book of Genesis at all, when you get to Genesis chapter 2-4, the scriptures kind of go into a more detailed explanation regarding the actual creation of mankind. In Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verses 27 and 26, you kind of have this overview of God, Elohim, this all-powerful creator who is creating, and everything that he creates, he looks at and says, it's good. And one day, you have God, Elohim, who creates man, the scripture says, in his image and in his likeness. Now, in Genesis They're beginning in verse 4. All you get is just kind of this description. God created mankind in his image and his likeness. We don't know how he did that. We just know that he did. But in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, you kind of start getting some more detailed explanation as to how God created mankind in his image and in his likeness. For example, in Genesis 2, 7, it says, The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, formed man... Of dust from the ground. We don't get that in chapter 1. He says, and breathe. God literally breathed his breath into the nostrils of that dust that he formed into man. And it says that man became a living being. You don't get that in chapter 1. 
All you know is that he created him in his image and his likeness. And when you get to here where you begin to have that, that combination of Jehovah uh, with Elohim, you kind of begin to see, okay, here's a little bit more description of what God has done. And you have the additional explanation of how the woman was created, how she came into being several verses later. Verses 21 and 22, again, a more detailed explanation. God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. He opened up his side, took out one of his ribs, closed up that side, and then he fashioned woman out of that rib. And all of this, again, is done not just by Elohim, as it was in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, but now it is Jehovah Elohim working. Now, let me just make one distinction here, because to me, this is just mind-blowing. In Genesis chapter 1, you have Elohim, God, who is creating mankind in his image and in his likeness. And again, this is kind of just one of these overviews. You're kind of just standing afar back, and God is just giving us very, very limited information. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, again, with the introduction, this revelation, not only am I Elohim, the all-powerful creator, I am also Yahweh. I am the self-existent one. I am the only true source of life. And with the introduction of, of Yahweh, this is so cool. You get a more personal, detailed account of exactly how mankind was created in his image and his likeness. Not only that, don't miss this. This is so cool. You also have, for the first time, God interacting with that creation. There is a conversation, there is dialogue that is for the first time taking place between Yahweh Elohim and what he has created in his image and his likeness. You don't have that in Genesis 1. God creates, looks at what he created, said it's good, goes on to the next day, creates, looks at it, says it's good, goes on to the next day with Jehovah Yahweh Elohim. You get this sense that that God sees what he has created and embarks on a relationship that you don't see in Genesis chapter 1. When when the name Yahweh is added to Elohim in Genesis 2-4 going forward, he is now not only Elohim, the all-powerful creator. He is that. He is also in addition to that. A greater revelation comes to us that he is also Yahweh, the the self-existent one who now speaks and converses and dialogues and has a relationship with what he has created in his image and his likeness. Yahweh Elohim speaks to and converses with the one made in his image, and he begins to impart very important information, directions. He begins to really impart revelation of how we are to walk and to live and to move and to be in this relationship with the one who has made us in, our, in his image and in his likeness. He says, you know what? From any of the trees of the garden, you may freely eat. 
He said, yet there is one tree that I don't want you to to eat from. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says to Adam and Eve, as he's dialoguing, conversing, giving them revelation, understanding of how to walk in that relationship with him. He said, this one tree, don't eat the fruit thereof it, because in that day you shall surely die. We don't get that in Genesis chapter 1. It's kind of God just doing his thing. When we get into Genesis chapter 2, it's all of a sudden saying, God, I want now a relationship with that which I created in my image and in my likeness. Following Adam and Eve's rebellion, you remember that they, they didn't listen. They weren't obedient. So following, again, the rebellion and eating the fruit from the forbidden tree. Again, it, it, is, it is Yahweh, Elohim. The one who came to be in relationship says to Adam and Eve, where are you? Who told you you were naked? He's no longer just Elohim, the all-powerful creator, the one who makes covenant. He is now Yahweh, Elohim, the one who communicates, who converses, who talks with, who enters into relationship with his creation, seeking Not to just be the all-powerful creator, but seeking now to be a father to that which he has created in his image and his likeness. That is powerful to me. That tells me that God desires relationship with us. God is not just here to do the miraculous in your life. God is here to converse, to talk to dialogue with you. I mean, this should just open up a whole new realm of prayer for some of you that God desires to speak with you. God desires for you to get to know him, to be in relationship. This is partly what Yahweh Elohim has come to convey. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 3, following the rebellion against God's command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says in verse 8, they, being Adam and Eve, heard the sound of Yahweh Elohim walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. That is the first time we run into this idea that mankind has now hidden Up to this point, they've never had to do that. But because of the rebellion, they're now in. And and nothing has changed on God's end. Only thing that has changed is on our end. And, And so the fallout from that was they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, Jehovah Yahweh, or Yahweh Elohim, among the trees of the garden. Now that word presence in the Hebrew, if you go back and look at that, it means the face. What Adam and Eve were hiding from was they were hiding from the face of of Yahweh Elohim. Some translations say that that word presence also means favor. They were hiding from the favor of God. Some of you here this morning, you are hiding yourselves from the face, from the favor of God this morning. Because of rebellion. Because of doing maybe forbidden things like Adam and Eve did. And yet God still searches them out. God still seeks them out. Where are you? Who told you? Some of you this morning, you're hiding 
from the presence, from the face, from the favor of God. All the while, God is calling out to you, where are you? Who told you you were unacceptable? Who told you you were unforgivable? Who told you you were unredeemable? Who told you you weren't loved with an everlasting love? Who? Adam and Eve were hiding from a very intimate encounter with Yahweh Elohim. And all he was looking for was some face time to get face to face into an intimate encounter with them. And they chose, they preferred to remain at a distance because of their nakedness and their shame. Some of you this morning, you're choosing to remain distant from God because of your nakedness, because of your shame, because of guilt or condemnation. And again, who told you what you did was unforgivable? Who told you what you've done is unredeemable? Who told you that God no longer loves you? Who? Now you have this First time that the name, again, Jehovah, Yahweh is used and it's in combination with Elohim. Now, the first time the word Jehovah or Yahweh is used alone without Elohim connected to it is in Exodus 3. And it's in the context of Moses and the burning bush. At this time and place in Moses' life, you remember he's living in Midian. He's married to one of the daughters of Jethro. He's the priest of Midian. And Moses is shepherding uh, Jethro's flocks there. And prior to this, uh, Moses was one of the princes of Egypt, if you remember. Okay, he'd been driven out of there by his brother Ramses after it was found out that Moses was really a Hebrew. And so 40 years after fleeing from Egypt, Moses is living in Midian as a nomad. He's there as a shepherd. And one day as he is attending the sheep, he encounters this burning bush. And Exodus chapter 3 verse 2 says, The angel of the Lord, or Yahweh, again, that's the first time that appears. That name appears alone without being attached to the name God or Elohim. It says, the angel of the Lord Yahweh appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And Moses looked and behold, the bush was not burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So he sees this inferno around this bush, but he also notices the bush is not being consumed. It's not burning up. And because of that, Moses says, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous or this miraculous Sight, why is this bush not burning up? Why is it not being consumed? And so, again, he sees this wondrous, miraculous sight, this burning bush full of fire, but not being consumed. And it says he turns aside and he goes to get a closer look. Now, verse 4 says, when the Lord Yahweh saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Wow, that is personal. It's not, hey, you, hey, you, Mr., sir, Moses, Moses. Very personal. 
And Moses says, here I am. If you ever hear the voice of God and don't know what to say, those three words are very, very good response. Here I am. Good response. You'll see that often as God encounters people. Fear comes over them and all they can really kind of say is, here I am, not going anywhere, can't go anywhere, here I am. Again, you don't just have the miracle of the burning bush, okay? That would have been enough. That would have been incredible. You don't just have the miracle of the burning bush. That got Moses' attention, just as it would any of ours. I mean, you go home today and your Christmas tree is on fire, but it's not being consumed, okay? It's, it's not smoking. It's as green as green can be, but it is just ablaze with fire. It'll get your attention, right? Yeah. How is this happening? What's going on? God uses, now get this, God uses the miracle of the burning bush in order to dialogue, to have a conversation, to enter into relationship with Moses. As you read in Exodus 3, there is just this back and forth conversation and dialogue between Yahweh and Moses. You have this interplay again of these two names, Elohim and Jehovah, just like back there in Genesis. Not only is there God, the all-powerful creator, there is also Yahweh, the great and wonderful communicator. It's not just God doing the miraculous in the burning bush, but using the miraculous in order to enter into a conversation, a dialogue, a relationship, some face time. At one point in the conversation is God has revealed his plan for Moses to go back and to deliver the nation of Israel from slavery. Moses asked in verse 13, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel And I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And Elohim says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And again, right there in that revelation you kind of get the meaning, the intent of that name, Yahweh or Jehovah. Again, the self-existent one. I am before anything else ever was. I am. I am has always been. There's never ever been anything that I am was not there. Therefore, before the burning bush, God himself reveals the meaning of this name, Jehovah, Yahweh, to his faithful servant, Moses. When Moses asks for God's name, he responds by saying, I am who I am. And then he shortens it just to kind of, you know, make it simple. You don't forget. I am. We can all remember that one. I am. I love how one Bible translation says it this way. I will become what I choose to become. That's what God is saying. I will become what I choose to become. Rotterham's translation renders it this way. I will become whatsoever I please. 
So again, part of the name, the meaning of this name, Yahweh, Jehovah, is God becoming whatever he needs to become in order to fulfill his purposes, his plans. He can cause to happen whatever is required with regard to his creation and the accomplishment of his purpose. There is so, 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 so much more. I mean, I just scratched the surface of this name Yahweh or Jehovah. For the sake of time, I want to just jump into the New Testament because I want to make this amazing correlation concerning Jesus, the Son of God. Remember, part of the significance of this particular name, God or Yahweh, is God becoming whatever he needs to become in order to fulfill his purposes and his plans for all eternity. And the purpose of God sending his son Jesus Christ is found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. God so loved you and I that he sent his one and only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Like that miracle of the burning bush. The word, which is God, the miraculous takes on flesh and he lives among us as a human being. God comes to you and to I through the miracle of the virgin birth. And God comes in person, in the person of Jesus Christ. And he comes in such a miraculous way. Through that virgin birth, no one's ever been born like that. No one will ever be born like that again. But he comes in a miraculous way. And then out of that, like that burning bush, he speaks to us. He engages us. He dialogues with us. Jesus came to be in relationship with us. Not to just come and say, hey, did you notice the miraculous? I was born immaculate conception. But rather he uses that and then out of that comes not to be served, but to be a servant, not to require something of you, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes to reveal the heart of the father. Jesus comes to say, That the Father and I are one. As a matter of fact, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you hear me, you're going to hear the Father. Jesus doesn't just leave it at the miraculous. He never does. Do you notice every miracle Jesus did? There's usually a conversation. A relationship being built or deepened. He uses the miraculous as a springboard. To develop relationship, to communicate, to get face time with us. Just like God did there in Genesis. Just like he did with Moses before the burning bush in Exodus. Throughout Jesus' three and a half years of ministry here on earth. He said many, many, many things that infuriated the religious people of his day. And caused them to just plot and to seek out his death. One such occurrence is in John chapter 8. Jesus is having a very heated exchange with the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders regarding their relationship to Abraham. They'd witnessed miracles. They they had seen Jesus do so many incredible healings. They've heard him teach with authority. And towards the end of this conversation, Jesus says in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to Jesus, Now we know you have a demon. 
Abraham died, the prophets also died, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? In other words, who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, and you have not come to know him. But I know him, Jesus says. And if I say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Now get this. This is what really, really set him off. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and rejoiced. So the Jews said to Jesus, you're not even 50 years old yet. How have you seen Abraham? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was born, I am. Bam. Therefore, those two words, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. I'll tell you what, folks, when Jesus said those two words, I am, he was applying God's forever name, Jehovah Yahweh, to himself. And the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day clearly understood the connection and the implication of what Jesus was saying. And the reason they picked up stones to throw at him was because they believed in Jesus saying those two words, I am the unutterable name. Not only do you not say that, you don't say that in regard to yourself. It's bad enough you spoke it. It's even worse that you think you are. That phrase, I am, Jesus spoke, there is the same name God spoke to Moses before the burning bush there in Exodus 3. Thereby Jesus was emphasizing his divine nature. This is not an isolated statement Jesus made concerning himself and his divine nature. Throughout the gospel of John, you have many occurrences As a matter of fact, theologians identify there are seven I am statements of Jesus. And each one of those statements is designed to proclaim the same truth. Jesus is the I am, the self-existent one. He is the God who's the true and only source of life. He is the same God who appeared before Moses in the burning bush. And these seven I am statements are found in, again, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I see like a seven-part series developing there. And again, in each one of these statements that Jesus is making here, It is intended to communicate the same truth to those who heard it then and to us who hear it today. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is the visible image of the invisible God. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. 
that Jesus came among us as a baby, took on human flesh, and he becomes the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus was and is God, the second person of the Godhead, equal and one with the Father in every way. Also in Revelation, which again stresses Jesus' eternal existence from eternity to eternity. Jesus says in Revelation 1.8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. It's one of the things, again, I love about the video we watched at the beginning of the sermon. Mary, did you know? Did you catch one of the lines in that song? Again, I just encourage you to go back and print out those lyrics and just read through them. It says, Mary, did you know the sleeping child you're holding is the great I am? Wow. Did you know? Do you know? As the great I am, Jesus, he didn't come, folks, just to amaze you with this great power. He he didn't come just to dazzle you with his miracles. He didn't come to entertain you or, or to impress you with his authority as a teacher, as a preacher. He didn't come just to heal the sick, to raise the dead. Jesus did all of that in order to prove to demonstrate that he had been sent from the Father for you and for me to forgive us of our sins, to give us abundant eternal life, and to have a relationship, face-to-face intimate relationship FaceTime. He came to give you favor with the Father. Not only did Moses see the miraculous power of God in the burning bush, he also heard the voice of God. Jesus came as a human being over 2,000 years ago, performed many miracles, and again, he used those as opportunities to speak the words of eternal life to all who would listen. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. There may be some of you in here this morning, you've never heard the voice of God. God wants you to hear his voice. God wants you to be able to recognize his voice because as as you hear and recognize the voice of God, That out of that, you begin to develop a relationship. Out of that, you kind of begin to to get to know who God is. Out of that, God begins to give you direction for your life. God begins to unveil and to reveal to you his plans and purposes for your life. But you got to hear his voice. And this morning, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, if you're a sheep, you can hear his voice. You just may not know how to recognize his voice. We're going to pray for you this morning. 
especially those of you that maybe have never heard the voice of God. We're going to pray for you in just a moment. I want you to know Jesus is not here just this morning to heal you, but for you to hear his voice. Jesus is here this morning not to just forgive you. He longs to do that. He shed his blood in order that that could happen. But he's also here to forge a deeper relationship with you. Jesus is not here just to to meet your physical needs. He wants to also engage you and meet your relational needs as well. He doesn't want to just work in your life. He also wants to speak words of eternal life into you, to comfort you, to again, to give affirmation. You see, this is, I've said this before, but let me say it again, because one of you may not have been here the, the last 50 times I said this. This is for you this morning. Here's the number one reason why most people do not want to hear the voice of God, because they feel like what they're going to hear from God is shame, guilt, and condemnation. Why did you do this? I am so upset at you for this. And we just feel like if we ever got alone, got FaceTime, got in the presence of God and heard his voice, it would be nothing but your laundry list of sins, failures, and shortcomings. That's why most people don't want to hear the voice of God. But I'm here to tell you this morning, the psalm says that God thinks innumerable precious thoughts concerning you. As a matter of fact, the scripture says the the precious thoughts that God thinks towards you are so innumerable that they outnumber the grains of sand upon the face of the earth. That's how precious and how numerable the thoughts are that God thinks towards you. And you know what? When you get in his presence, when you get face time with God, when you get into that intimate relationships, those are the things he begins to speak over you. Those precious, innumerable things he thinks about you. And if you'll just ever get over the threshold of that fear and just say, here I am. Speak to me, God. He will begin to release, to unveil, to reveal those innumerable precious thoughts concerning you. Okay, I'm out of time, as usual. (laughs) Jason, worship team, come back up. Here's what I want to do this morning. If if you're here this morning and you, maybe you're kind of like Adam and Eve and, and this morning, you're just kind of hiding from God because of some things that you've done in your life. And you just feel like this morning that there's just, it's so bad that that God could never forgive you. What you are saying in that statement is, is that your sin is greater than the blood of Jesus Christ. We just took communion this morning. And Jesus said that his blood was shed so that we could have forgiveness of sin. Now, Jesus didn't go down and kind of list which sins the blood would forgive and cleanse and which sins they didn't. Because all of the sins are cleansed and forgiven by the one blood that was shed by Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you kind of just think you've got the unique original sin that the blood of Jesus can't forgive or cleanse, I'm here to tell you you're listening to the lie or the enemy. And he's nothing but a liar. All he says is lies. And he's telling you here this morning that your sin is greater than the blood that Jesus shed upon the cross. And I'm here to tell you it's not true. Who told you that? Who are you listening to? Some of you, you're listening to the enemy. God is here this morning. He wants to speak to you because he wants to undo. He wants to um, 
uh, um, free you from the lies of the enemy. So he wants to speak to you this morning. So if that's you, I want you just to kind of come up here this morning. We're, we're going to pray for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just, you're, your walk is good with God, but you would have to say, I don't hear his voice. I'll guarantee you, you've heard it. I'll guarantee you, you're hearing it a lot. You just don't know what to listen for or how to listen for it. So we're going to be up here. Uh, we're going to pray for you. Uh, now, um, so it, as you come up, kind of let the people know. You don't have to go into a, like a huge um, sermon like I do um, about what, what you're here for. Just let them know, I, you know, I, I want to hear the voice of God. Or, you know, I'm, I'm kind of feeling um, stuck uh, in this area of my life. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling guilt, condemnation, shame. Um, again, we want to free you from that this morning. Because, man, once you get those voices to stop speaking in your head, what happens is the voice of God begins to ramp up. And and amp up. Some of you are just listening to the wrong voice. We just kind of got to get you listening to the right voice this morning. Father, we just thank you so much for your power, your presence here. We just thank you that you have come to reveal yourself, Yahweh, Jehovah. This morning, Father, we just come. And God, we are so blown away. We stand in awe of the miraculous this morning. But God, we also see that all that you're doing in our lives, God, through the miraculous, the wonderful, that God, all of that is just a doorway, God, into a deeper relationship with you this morning. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that there are people here this morning out of just fear that are afraid to hear your voice, fear of what they're going to hear, God. The Lord, this morning, I just pray, God, that you would begin to remove that barrier of fear. That, God, you would just begin to replace that with confidence, God, that we can enter into your throne room, God. We can come into that place of grace with confidence and boldness this morning. Because we're going to hear the voice of our Father. We're going to hear words of affirmation. We're going to be like Peter, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And God, you long to speak those words of eternal life over your children. So Father, I just pray for those who have not heard the voice or are hearing other voices. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. A stranger, they won't follow. So Father, I just pray, Lord, this morning, open the eyes of our heart. Open the, uh, open the understanding of it, our, our ears this morning, God. That we would be able to hear your voice. And that God in that hearing, we would say, here I am. So Father, I just pray, Lord, just a releasing of your Holy Spirit here this morning. Begin to just unhinge. Begin to break the power of the enemy. However, it's manifesting in this place through unbelief, through depression, through sickness and disease. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would begin to break the chains that bind, the chains that keep us hidden. When all you long for, God, is to show us your face, to show us your favor. And Father, we long for that this morning. We ask you to just come. Reveal and manifest yourself to us. 
through the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and just through your voice to our inner being. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.